Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about a 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture has been fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and now and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong he burst open in the middle and his bowels gushed out, and became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language a keldamah, which is field of blood." For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who had accompanied us during this time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and they said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two have been chosen, and to take place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from the heaven like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak to, an, to another in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the word of the Lord. As we said, we're going to be in Acts here for the next few weeks as we continue on in that series, The Giver Gets the Glory. We're not going to go verse for verse through Acts. We won't go through all of Acts, but we're going to pick parts of that book out over the next weeks up till Easter and talk about again the same, the same overall theme that the giver gets the glory and show how that was true 
in the church as it was started in the book of Acts. We've said in past weeks that uh, we have a God like no other, a God who acts or works on behalf of those who wait for him. And over these last weeks have tried to lay out that from Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 4, the text that's on the wall. And we've said that the pinnacle of that work, the pinnacle of it, the apex of that work is the cross. God worked in the cross in a way that we could not. We were absolutely and are absolutely dependent upon the work of Christ on the cross. We could not do that. It's the pinnacle of his work. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave. You see the word again? The giver, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's a key verse in this series. If he didn't withhold the greatest gift, will he not also with him graciously continue to give to us? And we'll see that in the book of Acts. The, the key, though, that you must understand, and I keep wanting to underline, is the all things. Our hearts are so sinful that we will twist promises like this the wrong way if we aren't reminded often of what the promise is. Promise is he will give us all things. All things what? All things to do his will. All the grace, strength we need to magnify him, which is his will. Whether we eat or drink, or whatever we do, our mandate is to live for the glory of God. That's what happens in the heart of one whom Christ becomes to indwell. We we change from living for ourselves and unto ourselves for another. And our goal is to glorify Him in everything that we do. Everything. And His promise is He will give us all the grace we need in any specific circumstance to do that. That's the hope that's laid out in the text. And uh, we do that by letting Christ be our life. That the, the, the walk of the Christian life is letting him be our life. Our life, certainly eternal life, but our life from day to day, from moment to moment, as we allow him to be our strength and our help. This is what I think it is to live out the Christian life. Matthew 5.16 reiterates that it says, In this same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works produced by the grace and strength of God. You want to put that parenthesis in there. You want to have that. You want to understand that. See your good works produced by the grace or the strength of God and give glory to your Father in heaven. See, that's the rhythm. We, we do and were created for good works, but good works done in His strength as He graciously continues to give us all things, all the grace we need to live for His glory. And the obvious picture should be that whatever good comes from us is by His hand, by His work in our heart and in our life. So now we want to look at the book of Acts in that context, laying that foundation again. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. Look there at the text. It says this in the first book, O Theophilus. And, and uh, the, the question we ask is, what first book? Many of you know what first book. The book of Luke 
in the first book, the writer of Acts, Luke, in the book of Luke, says some things to Theophilus. And what he says to them is in verse 3. He told them about how Christ presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs and appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom. In, in the first book, we have the work of the atonement. We have what Christ accomplished in his death, burial, or I should start with his life, not just his death, his life, death, burial, and resurrection. All of that is in the book of Luke. And then for 40 days following that resurrection, he appeared to the disciples. And all of that is there. And so you come to the end of the book of Luke at the ascension. And so now what we're doing is picking it up from there. What he's doing in this book is picking up the life of Christ from the time of the ascension on. Look at that in verse uh, one again. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all the things Jesus, it's interesting how it puts it, all the things Jesus began to do. Now, we would know that in, in the Gospels and in, um, in the life and death and and in the cross and the resurrection of Christ, at one point Jesus said, it's finished. It's finished. What was finished? The atonement was finished. He'd done everything that was needed. We don't have to add to that. We don't add to his work on the cross for our reconciliation. But all of his work wasn't finished. That was only what Jesus began to do. And what he began to do was lay the foundation for the rest of it. It's the whole idea. He did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us all. That's Luke. That he might also with him graciously give us all things. That's Acts. He continues to give to us grace. I said this morning in my prayer, his grace is not just his disposition toward us because of the atonement, that he accepts us because, on the basis of what Christ has done. It's not just his disposition of his heart, grace, but it also is a power that he gives us to live out this Christian life, to do good works so that it's obvious that God is the one who is doing the work. And the book of Acts is about that, about him doing that, and about the promise to do that. Look at the promise in chapter, in verse 4 of this text this morning. He, he gives a promise of how he's going to do that, how he's going to continue to work in the life of his people, in the life of his bride that he is gathering. In verse 4 it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, uh, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will, re- uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Earlier, as I said, I, I, I skipped on to verse 8, but verse 4 says this in the book it says, and while they were staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So there we begin to see the, the second part of what Jesus did and continues to do. The part where it says that he began in the book of Luke, but now he's going to finish it as we 
walk through the book of Acts and continue to show us his work and continue on past the book of Acts as the church, the church age. God continues to build his church for which the gates of hell will not prevail against. And he does it, he does it by living and residing in the life of his people through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the promise that he gives in this text. In Acts chapter 2, in verses 1 through 4, we see the fulfillment of that. If you want to turn there now to that, let's read it together. Here here we find the fulfillment of what he promised in verse 4 and verse 8, that he would baptize them if they would wait in Jerusalem, and that he would give them a new power to go to all the, the world with the message of the gospel. And here he fulfills it in chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared on them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I want to make a couple of observations about the text that we've read this morning, and then next week we will launch further into the book of Acts. But two real observations I want to make, and hopefully we'll have time to do both of those this morning. If not, we'll, we'll finish next week. But the first one is this, that the promise that was given that, that he would baptize them with the Holy Spirit and that he would provide a power and a resource for the disciples and for the church to take the message of the gospel to the uttermost ends of the earth. The promise is for every believer. It is for every believer. The Bible here calls it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, as you take that term, the only other place it appears in all of the Bible, the, the, the idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the only other place it appears is in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. Let me, let me read this to you here from 1 Corinthians 12, be actually beginning at verses 12 and 13. So listen closely. This is the only other place you hear it in all of the scriptures except in the book of Acts. It says, For just as, as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And then it says, For in one spirit, one spirit, the Holy Spirit, capital S, in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. And the inference here in 1 Corinthians is that is what places us in the body of Christ. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is given to us, that is evidence that we belong to Christ. That is what happens within the life of a believer. When you trust Christ, you pass from spiritual death to life, the life you get, the life you receive is the Spirit entering into your life. He brings you to life. You were once dead, He brings you to life. And what Paul describes that and how Paul describes that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 says this. Listen, listen to this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but if in the Spirit, capital S, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So, evidence that we belong to Him is that the 
Holy Spirit is in our life. It is the defining thing about whether we have life or we don't have life. Anyone who's a believer possesses the Holy Spirit of God. I believe has been baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in them as they are in Christ. So baptism, I think, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as it says in Corinthians, is given at new birth. So the next question you should ask is, what? I hope one of the questions that you ask is, but weren't they already Christians? Weren't these disciples who Jesus said to wait in Jerusalem until you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power to go out into all the world and declare the gospel? Were they not already believers? Did they get saved, if you will, at Pentecost? They were dead before that. They came to life at Pentecost. I've already said that what the Spirit does is it causes us to pass from life or from death to life. So you should ask that question. Were they not believers? I think they were. I think they were believers. I think the Spirit was operating in their life. I think they had been, the the theological term is they had been regenerated. They had passed from death to life by the Spirit. So I think, yes, they were uh, believers. They were followers of Christ, except with the exception, and we read about here, of Judas, who betrayed Christ. But all the other, all the other 11 and those around them were believers. At Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, they were believers. So then we have to ask the question, well, that creates a problem. Because if baptism of the Holy Spirit is when life comes into the the one who is dead, and Paul talks about it, we're baptized by one spirit into one body, then why is this? Does that mean there's another experience to have and to seek after? Well, I don't think so. I think the spirit comes at new birth fully into our life. We don't get part of the spirit, and then later more comes or we're baptized by the Spirit. I think baptism of the Holy Spirit is talking about coming to life. So why the difference? And the reason you need to ask that question is because if you don't ask that question, the book of Acts is going to be really difficult for you. As you begin to look at the book of Acts and how the Holy Spirit worked in the book of Acts, it's going to create all kinds of problems for you. Unless you understand what it means and what was the significance of that and and why we have the book of Acts and why we see the operation of the Spirit in the book of Acts as unique to other places in Scripture. And I believe the reason for that is that this was a unique time of transition. You see, the difference and why it was different, I think, for the disciples versus us today is that they were in that period of transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And they were experiencing um, what God had promised more fully to his people that would come at Pentecost or would come at a later time. Look in chapter 2, 
as we go forward. We didn't read this this morning, but there's a prophecy from the prophet Joel there. And look at what it says. It says, in the last days, and Joel is an Old Testament prophet, you hear. This, this appeared in the Old Testament. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions. It goes on. But the promise was that in the last days, there was a dimension of God's spirit that was going to come that would be different than that in the old covenant, the way the spirit operated in the old covenant versus the new covenant. The new covenant promise had come here at Pentecost, and they were in that crossover time. Was the Spirit active in the Old Testament? Yes, but in a much more limited way, uh, a much much more limited way, particularly limited in the sense that it was primarily to just one nation. And even to that nation, it was in a limited way. And so what happens here in the book of Acts is the giving of that promise that the Spirit was going to come in a new way and, and, and provide a new dimension of relationship with God because of that spirit. In the Old Testament, in many, many ways, in the Old Testament, the command was given without the enablement. There were commands given, but the enablement was not given. And at the day of Pentecost, the spirit came in a way of enablement that Old Testament saints did not for the most part, experience, and not certainly as fully even those who did. There have been times in my life, and probably your life, when I thought it would have been much easier to live back then, in that day, in that age, when you see walls of water split, and you see some of the things that are talked about in the Old Testament, things that God did. But the truth of the matter is, and if you believe Scripture, and you look at the full flow of Scripture, it wasn't easier. It was harder much harder for those people to believe and to continue to walk with God. They didn't have the Spirit in the same way we have the Spirit since Pentecost. It was not the same. That's the inference of Scripture. There's mystery in some of that, but it is certainly clear in Scripture that the Spirit was going to come in ways and dimensions that the Old Testament people could only long for. Listen to John chapter 14 and verse 16. Listen to Jesus And he says this, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, and he dwells with you and will be in you. I don't know what that totally means. He will dwell with you but will be in you. I think there was a dimension in the Old Testament he was in them but not in the way he is after Pentecost. Luke chapter 24. The end of the book of Luke, in the end of that first book, it says, Jesus says, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The promise of Jeremiah chapter 32, the Old Testament promise of of the new covenant. Listen to what it says. This is, this, is, this is what the Spirit provided at Pentecost that wasn't part of the Old Covenant, wasn't part of, for people of the Old Testament. 
It says, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn from doing good to them. I will put the fear of me in their hearts and they that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. The promise of the new covenant is the reason why you see the difference. It's not because in the, uh, in the, in the, in the account that the disciples weren't believers, weren't Christians, weren't God's people. But there was a dimension of the Spirit that comes for New Testament believers and came for them too, but not till Pentecost that Old Testament people could only long for. And one of the things that you have to understand about the book of Acts is God oversees the giving of that Holy Spirit. There are a number of places in the book of Acts where, where you just read kind of puzzling kinds of questions. And if you're trying to get all these timelines figured out, there's one place it says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Well, I just said to you earlier in the New Testament, when, when we trust Christ, What brings us to life is the Holy Spirit. So there are occasions in the book of Acts, because it was that transition time, because it was the time from the old covenant to the new covenant, where God orchestrated the giving of the Holy Spirit by his apostles, part of the role of the apostles in giving the Holy Spirit and allowing it to come. And and if you understand that transition period, it will help you as you try to understand the book of Acts. Now, that's point one that the promise is for all believers. You, you do not get part of the Holy Spirit when you come to Christ and more of the Holy Spirit later. You can't divide the Holy Spirit. We are baptized by the Spirit. The Spirit of Christ comes into our life when we come to life. He brings us to life. All of Him. He's not separated. And the reason He comes is because He brings a promise to accomplish an impossible task through us. He comes and he's given as a gift to the church to accomplish an impossible task through us. Christ is gathering a bride from every nation and we are called to go to the nations, every every kindred and every tribe with the message of Christ. That's what it says in Acts chapter 1. It says that you shall be my witnesses after you receive power in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The coming of the Holy Spirit is for the purpose of sending us out to our neighbor and to the nations to empower us to go and to to declare the message of Christ so his bride can be gathered in a new power that God provides the church to do that. And he provides everyone in the church that power. Now, in this text, some of the questions that you will have, one of them is that what's the significance of the tongues here? It says that what happened is when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In this particular context, in this case, we know that it it was known languages that they were given. In other words, there were all kinds of people gathered in Jerusalem at that time from all the nations. 
And they were gathered there. And all of a sudden, as these disciples received the Holy Spirit, and they began to utter the message, they, they hear it in their own tongue. All these people who've gathered begin to hear it in their own language about this Christ. Again, I think the significance of this is message is to go to the nations. It's to go to all of the nations. And God has promised to give us power to take it to all of the nations. That's what we see in the book of Acts. Now, let's make some application here and then we'll, we'll come back another day. I'll try to wrap this up quickly. One of the applications that you see here is that this was a ragtag group of men. They were a ragtag group of men. Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. Listen to the description of these men. It says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John after Pentecost and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's by, by design. It's the design they were a ragtag bunch of men because what God wanted to show that this was his power and this was of him, not them, which is the way it's supposed to work. We hopefully, I hope everyone here who knows Christ and has named the name of Christ as your burning desire is whether you eat or drink that you'll do everything you do to the glory of God, that it will be obvious he is working in you to do what you're doing. He's supplying the strength. And that certainly is the picture we get if you think about it a while. You think about how Christianity has spread over these 2,000 years or so. And it began with 12 ragtag men and one of those was a traitor. And it is, it is expanded around this globe. The giver gets the glory. That's what that's about. What it's about him taking ragtag men is about the giver getting the glory for what's done, that it will be seen that it's his work. So how does that apply to us? Here's, here's what I want to, and how I want to make application this morning. Out in, in the front of our church is a rock that you can kind of see. It's got a snowdrift in front of it now, but but it's there. And on that rock is a plaque from the book of Joshua. And what it basically says is when the children ask what these stones mean, tell them they're about the faithfulness of God. Tell them they're about the faithfulness of God. As I apply that to us, the reason we chose to put that message out there on that stone is my desire, and I hope yours is as well, that what we do as a church and how we operate as a church, is it's just so evident that only God could do that. I've had the liberty of 30-some years, 36 years now, of being here in this one place. And, and I want to tell you that, that there's no reason. I've said it before. There's no reason for us to be here. There's no reason we are in a, in a unique spot where we're located as a body, as a church, to just be reminded that it's God, that it's God. An opportunity to let God be the one who shines about what happens here and in the life of this church. And what my hope is that that will, 
that will continue to just get broadcast. That it, he's doing something. He's working in the life of his people who are looking to him, waiting for him. Go to Jerusalem and wait. Why? So that God can work. It's exactly what the text says. He works for those who wait. They went and waited. Their job was to wait. God's job was to work as they waited. Now, this is the picture, and I've shared this with a number. We'll continue to do it, and I'm out of time to do it as fully as I'd like to do it. But in the book of Acts, chapter 12 and verse 12, there's an incident that happens. Peter has been in prison, in prison for his faith in those early days. The disciples are are praying for him. And, and all of a sudden, Peter gets out of prison, gets let out of prison, and appears at the door of these people who are praying. He knocks on the door. A woman goes to the door, or to the gate, it says, and she's so startled when she sees Peter that she doesn't even unlock it. But she goes back to the disciples and says, Peter's at the door. And they say, you're a fool. In other words, how, it can't be. There's no way that can be. And there is a way it can be. Peter is at the gate, and they realize that. And And here's what I hope for us, is that God would continue to do things like this that are so evident that he is working that initially it's almost, it's it's just beyond belief. It can't be. That, That our initial reaction, even as we're praying, is it can't be. But it is. God is working. Now certainly I'm not proposing Posing that we live in unbelief very long. But that it's so much obvious that he's done it that it startles us. And, and this is how I would encourage you to pray as the worship team's going to lead us in just a moment. That you would pray that God would just begin to drop Peters into your life like that. That they just appear in your life. That he just drop them and, and it would be so obvious that God is dropping them so you can declare the message of Christ to them that it almost startles you. In fact, it does startle you for a moment. But then you get so used to that and the way God works that eventually the startledness doesn't come quite as much. My prayer is that God will drop people in our individual lives, in the life of this church, wherever we're at, in all of the communities that we're in like that. Just begin to drop people. Some of those he may just drop right here. Part of the dropping may be in this actual church building. But I think more likely he will drop it into our individual lives. And that we will depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. We will look to his power that we might be witnesses as we ought to be witnesses for Christ. I pray God will do that. We're going to sing a song this morning that says, O great God of highest heaven, occupy my lowly heart. Occupy it. Now, the Bible talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, but I don't think you get more of Him. I just think He gets more of us. Occupy my lowly heart with that Spirit that I've been baptized into the body of Christ with that dwells in me. I might be witnesses to the neighbors and to the nations by the power you provide. That God, you just drop them into our lives. Let's stand and sing.
great God of highest heaven, occupy my lowly heart. Own it all and reign supreme. Conquer every rebel power. Let no vice or sin remain that resists your holy have loved and purchased me, make me yours forevermore. I was blinded by my sin, had no ears to hear your voice, did not know your love within. Had no taste for heaven's joys. Then your spirit gave me life, opened up your word to me. Through the gospel of your Son, give me endless hope and dependent on your grace. Keep my heart and guard my soul from the evils that I face. You are worthy to be praised with my every thought and deed. Oh, great God of highest heaven, together. Father, I pray you will help us to be a people who will live a life that is dependent on your grace, your strength, the power of the Holy Spirit within us as believers. Lord, teach us how to wait so you can work. And Lord, we've already said that waiting isn't isn't passive, but as we go about our day and our week, that, Lord, we would so wait upon you and and realize our dependence on you. When, When opportunities come, Father, we would sense the power of the Holy Spirit aiding us to be witnesses. Lord, help us. Help us. And help there to be no mistake who the giver is as we live out our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go in God's peace.